Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we've looked through uh, this book and gotten to this point. It's been a challenging study for me as I study throughout the week and uh, hopefully are in putting to practice in my life uh, how to discover and how to maintain true happiness. It's not through our circumstances. Because as we just saying, he will hold me fast even in the dark times and even when we have uh, the bad news and, the, and life happens. Last week we began to, to look at more in detail True happiness is possible through spirit-filled living and specifically pursuing unity with others. Pursuing unity with others. Sometimes it's easy for us to love God but not love our brother. Man, God, I, I'm, I'm all about you, but this, this other brother and sister, not so much. But what does that mean to pursue unity? Well, we looked at last week the goal of spirit-filled unity uh, is not just for pragmatic functionality. We don't just tolerate each other you know, to kind of get things done. No, that's not what spirit-filled unity is all about. It's not just selfish enjoyment. There is uh, so much involved in why are we unified and how can we be unified uh, about the central, central message of the gospel and doctrine of scripture. Spiritual unity enables us to fulfill God's purpose. John 17, Jesus says, I pray that they will be one as we are one. That's part of God's purpose, uh, but also it reflects God's power and grace to the lost. As the, the polarized world around us sees a, a very different picture, hopefully, with the local church and as we're believers and sees, sees unity, it'll make a difference that they won't soon forget and hopefully create a thirst for the gospel. So what's involved in this? How do we go about restoring unity? We see that there's two sisters in the church here at Philippi, and they need to agree in the Lord, Paul says. So what's the process? Well, intentional communication Paul challenged him, you know, we saw last week, uh, that I urge you, Yodia, and I urge you, Syntyche, he said, to agree in the Lord. There's going to be communication that has to take place there as they talk through problems. This most likely was not a doctrinal problem. Paul did not give any indication that they, were, that they had strayed from the faith. On the contrary, they said, he said, these women have helped me in the gospel. They've worked together with you, Clement, and you, you know, true companion, and others, but they had to talk through this, intentional communication. And then we see loving intervention. We saw that last week as well. This is part of being a follower of Christ. Aren't you thankful that Christ intervened in your life and in my life? And in, as Romans 5, 8 says, but while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. So he intervened. He showed us, yes, I want to reconcile you. So beyond the salvation, reconciliation, and redemption... He wants, as believers, to maintain and pursue uh, reconciliation with one another when that's not happening. And it involves uh, loving intervention. We've got a little illustration here. Let's pretend that in this coffee cup that I've got some, some salt, all right? So um, Johnny is the, uh, the president of the Cavaliers Society at Bob Jones University, part of the group that came uh, the girl society are, are the bandits. But, so I'm gonna, let's pretend that I have some salt here. Just stick out your arm. I'm not going to hurt you. Okay? And, and uh, did that hurt? It didn't hurt at all. So I just sprinkled some, uh, what I'm pretending to be salt, on his hand. Now, if you were to go ahead and take your glasses off. Are you ready? I'm not going to do it. But what if I were to take just a pinch and I were just to flick it in his eyes? You can let go of the salt now. You can, we'll, we'll vacuum it up later. What would happen? What would Johnny do? Would he go, 
Oh, thank you, Pastor Dave. No, immediately what would ha- most likely happen is his whole body would jump into action to, to see how can I get this salt out of my eyes. So his fingers and his hands would begin to, you know, maybe kind of wipe away. His feet would probably come into motion in his legs as he finds the nearest, you know, uh, faucet to get some water to wash out his eyes. Um, maybe even a, a fist would come to hit me, you know, because I, I threw salt in his eyes. But all of these different members of Johnny's body would spring into motion, even though I used something that I could spread on any other part of the body and It didn't hurt. I mean, he didn't even flinch when I put it in his hand. But in that one small member of Johnny's body, in in his eyeball, he his whole body would know right away and would send these emergency alert reactions that something needs to happen. This cannot stay in my eye. So why is this important? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, urges the Corinthian church who was a, it was a splinter, it was a problematic church. And Paul says, listen, Corinthian church, and listen, all believers after that, we are members of one body. So as we pursue unity, as we pursue reconciliation with one another, not only are, is this part of being a follower of Christ, but it also helps us to fulfill our role as members of the body of Christ. Now, why don't we do that? Why don't, as members of the body of Christ, Why don't we spring to action when we see another member hurting or outside of unity? There's a lot of excuses. Sometimes we can can think, well, um, it's really none of my business. Or we may even think, well, if I get involved, things are probably going to get worse. Because it's going to stir the pot. So maybe if I just kind of lay low and maybe in time and and maybe somebody's just going to move away or maybe somebody will just change churches. And listen, folks, unfortunately, that that happens all too often. And in America, we have the luxury to, to just change churches at will. That's not true in every part of the world. And that shouldn't be our first response just to say, okay, you know, I don't like so and so or they don't like me. So, okay, well, we'll just, you know, find somewhere else. Christ wants us to to not only follow his example, but to fulfill our role as a member in the body of Christ. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It'll be up on the screen as well, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then jump to verse 24, same chapter. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is an illustration that we can all quickly identify with, whether it's a paper cut or something in your eye or the last couple days for whatever reason, I've, I've bit the side of my cheek a couple times. And as soon as I do that, my whole body goes, wow, that hurt. But yet in the body of Christ, sometimes we can go weeks, months, and even years, and we see that there's not unity. We see there's problems between brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can just kind of justify, hey, it's none of my business. I hope they get it figured out. Maybe at some point it's just going to go away. 
And Paul, both in Philippians and Corinthians, says, no, you are part of the body of Christ. There's many members, but one, and so we're to seek unity for that reason. It's also part of fulfilling the, the call of Christ, the call of Christ. You and I are called to be peacemakers, to be peacemakers. Now, I think you know, many of us have seen, whether it's in Greenville or different parts here in Metro Atlanta um, uh, or you know, even over in, in Roswell, most of us have seen all these signs that you know, say, now hiring. We are in a crisis right now. It's in our labor force where we need more workers. And it has affected hospitals. It's affected restaurants. It's affected uh, you know, the delivery, logistics business. It's affected every area, it seems, where we need more workers. And sometimes they're, they're on the storefronts or maybe even on the big billboards. Uh, any of you seen the sign on Cobb Parkway that uh, Cobb County is hiring policemen? Anybody else seen that sign? Anybody remember the starting salary? Okay, you even know the starting salary. So what does that mean? We are aware there is a need for more workers in our area. But I'm gonna, I want to step it up a little bit. There is a need for even something more important than that globally, in our, in our country, in our churches, in our homes. And it's not just for more workers. It's not just for somebody to fill a shift, but it's for more peacemakers. There's some, uh, Will and, and Ariel Durant wrote a book called The Lessons of History, and they, they made an interesting observation of all the recorded history that we have, about 3,421 years as far as uh, records of wars and things like that, only 268 of those years, of 3,421, only 268 of those years were without war as we know it in the world. It's pretty phenomenal. That means more often than not, uh, in some part of the world, and many times in several places in the world, their war is happening and we've been very familiar with that, obviously, for over a year now as Russia invaded Ukraine. And we've, we've prayed for that situation. We helped in a very small way, you know, a church in Ukraine. They'll respond to some needs uh, to their church family. And you see what happens in Syria. You continue to see news about the Middle East. And you see people that are trying to broker peace. And you've got, you know, what will North Korea do? Well, what is, you know, what's happening when balloons fly over our country? And all these things. And we wonder, you know, where is peace? And how can we... How can and we level all of this off. But it's not, it doesn't just happen in a global way. We see nationally. All the political infighting. The mud that's, that's uh, just slung back and forth. And the lies. And, and all the manipulation that happens on, on, a, on a national level. Local level, you see you know, school board meetings that, that get very hot. And there's, there's anger and accusations and problems. Families are falling apart. You know, couples can't, you know, they say, well, we're not compatible anymore. But were you at some point? Well, yeah, pastor, but not anymore. And we just don't love each other more. Well, did you at some point? Well, yeah, but not now. So all of this shows we need peacemakers. And Christ has called us to be peacemakers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. There's benefit, there's great blessing as God's called you and called me as followers of Christ to be peacemakers. It says, for they shall be called the sons of God. But a couple things you need to know, and I think you know some of these already. Being a peacemaker is demanding. Being a peacemaker is demanding. This doesn't just happen by, you know, doing, you know, just trying to 
say a few nice phrases or, or, or saying you know, to two people, okay, hug and, and you know, make up now, uh, just get it over with. That may work for some four-year-olds a couple times, but it doesn't work long-term. So pe- being a peacemaker is demanding. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which one, no one will see the Lord. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, or 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Notice this, to which you have been called. But what is that? And Paul goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's tough. We might bear together with one another, but not always in love. We're just kind of like, all right, we're here together. Let's make the best of it. No. God wants us to do that with a loving spirit. And then it goes on, eager to do what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These words that are used, these phrases to strive for peace and maintain peace, help us, remind, reminds us that this is demanding. This is not just an easy thing that happens. In Romans 14, 19, it says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I like the phrase that William Barclay said, it'll be on the screen as well. It says, this, the blessing is on the peacemakers, not necessarily on the peace lovers. Because many of us will say, yeah, I want peace. I'd love to have peace in our nation. I'd love to have peace in the world. I'd love to have peace, and let's bring this close to home. I'd like to have peace in One Hope Church. I want to have peace in our home. I want to have peace in our marriage. But God's word says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is demanding. This is something you have to strive for. This is something you have to work to maintain. This is something you have to say in the, in, the, in the Holy Spirit, God, use me as a peacemaker in whatever situation you call me. Being a peacemaker is costly. Philippians chapter 2, in the same book that we've been studying, uh, let's go back a little bit and see how much this cost our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, Philippians 2 verse 5 which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He didn't have to do that. But he emptied himself, and then it goes on, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. As you and I respond to the call of God to be peacemakers, there's things that's going to cost us. We're going to have to empty ourselves of certain rights and privileges that we think we have. We're going to have to be willing to be vulnerable, to kind of get into the fight. I mean, we see this on a a kind of a general level, you know, where uh, today everybody has their phones, right? And so we see on Fox News or CNN or wherever news outlet you watch, you see, oh, you know, so-and-so, whatever teacher aid, got tackled because she took away a guy's, you know, um, um, switch. Or this person got, you know, beat with a bat on the New York subway. We see these things because people are just there and they're, and they're videoing. But why didn't they jump in? Why didn't they go to help? And I think, unfortunately, as Christians, we might kind of stand on the, on the sidelines and say, oh, you know, let's, let's see this. This is going to be interesting. Bring the popcorn, you know. But no, God says, listen, the call that I've given you is to be a peacemaker. Get involved in that. Yes, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You may get hurt a little bit in the the fight for peace. Now, that's kind of weird. Fight for peace? Yeah. Strive, maintain, pursue. And so it's uh, it's a call that we have, and it's um, 
you know, as the statement said, it's not just for peace lovers. We also see that being a peacemaker is risky. Also in Philippians chapter 2, as we kind of finish that passage about Christ, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. Wow, what a reward. That he lovingly intervenes in our life and he wants to redeem us and to give us true purpose and all the things that we praise Christ for this morning. But what led to that was his very own death and shed blood. The verse ends, ends even death on a cross. And so this is, it's risky. As we get involved in this and as we call unbelievers to be reconciled to God and then in our spiritual life as we call fellow believers to be reconciled with each other. It's demanding, it's costly, it's risky. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Notice, making peace... This is the same idea of being a peacemaker, Christ himself making peace, but how? By the blood of his cross. Boy, that's the model that we have to follow. And so the next time you think, man, I don't want to get, in. I don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. Yes, it is. Because God has called you to that. And God's called me to that. And so it is our business to be peacemakers. Kent Hughes says, the true peacemaker, contrary to what most people think, is not afraid of making ways. The true peacemaker, opposed to what many people think, is not afraid of making ways. Sometimes we think, oh man, you know, I, I just want peace. You know what that means sometimes? Sometimes people interpret that as, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to tolerate. I'm, I'm not going you know, to get involved. But the truth of the matter is, for Jesus Christ to offer reconciliation and bring redemption to us, he made waves. He made waves to the extent that he said, listen, brother will be against brother and child against parent, and you better love me more than anybody else and, deny, and take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So that is his call to us. And then as believers, how much more so should we strive and maintain and pursue to keep that unity for his glory and then as others watch, so that they can see the grace and the power of the gospel. You know, all that we, as we boldly proclaim the true peace, can only be found in Christ, we will encounter opposition. You can guarantee it. As we proclaim true peace, we will encounter opposition. Uh, that is not a likable message to many. But yet... The world's peace, the peace that's offered without Christ, as the historians duly noted, it will not last. It will not last. Because the only true peace that will last can only be brokered by Jesus Christ, who is our peace, Ephesians 2 says. So for us to experience that, then we must obviously be all in for the message of the gospel and say, listen, true peace is only through Jesus Christ who is our peace. We are called to be peacemakers, but we're also called, and you are called to be a load bearer. Look with me in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I, I am always encouraged and amazed to see how God can use groups do things fast. 
We experienced this in the 18 years that we were in Brazil as people came down and, and very skilled uh, craftsmen in, in many different areas, whether it was a painter or a welder or laying tile or building pews and pulpits. Here in this ministry, we've seen so many also come in and weed eat and spray for weeds and, and do pine straw and paint as well. And it's amazing when you get a group how fast things can be done. So much faster than doing it alone. Amen? God has called us to be a load bearer. Look with me in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. This isn't just like for, you know, the, the ultra you know, the ultra special Christians. No, it says, if you're a follower of Christ, this is part of your calling to bear the load of one another. This is putting in practice the 50 plus commands of one another commands in the New Testament. Yes, that we're called to be a load bearer. Recall a, ministry, a time in our ministry a while back that um, my coworker and I, we, we were having a rough time together. We believed the same gospel. We had the same goal to plant churches in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But there came a time in our ministry as, as, as I was growing and changing, as he was growing and changing, that, that our, our philosophy of ministry and how we felt like ministry should happen began to, to kind of take different paths. And it was not a fun time. And oftentimes, Kim would have to remind me, David, watch your attitude. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Because, man, I would get flustered, and then it was starting to, to affect our relationship. And not only that, it was starting to affect our, our new little church there and, and young church and people that were watching us, the missionaries, and how we were acting. And I thought, man, this is, this is not good. So I was able to go to another missionary that I greatly respect to this day. And both of us, my coworker and I both, considered him to be a great friend. And I went and I said, listen, we need help. This is, these are some things that are going on, and I, and I just, I need some counsel. How should I proceed? And thank God, as a godly man, as a mature Christian, he, he gave me some steps of action. He said, this is what I would encourage you to do. And thankfully, in large part, through his counsel and others who I sought counsel from, and Kim's faithful counsel, I, I, she never fails, with her faithful counsel, it has helped us to this day. I can look at that former coworker, and we are friends today. It didn't have, it, 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 there was a time where I wasn't sure that was going to happen. But we stay in contact, and he's been a blessing to our family in several ways since that time, and we try to be a blessing to him. But thankfully, that other missionary and several others helped to carry the load. And they lifted us up together and were able to help us restore that relationship. Now be careful that as you, as you seek help, we must seek help. Notice Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are what? Spiritual. So there is a, there is a maturity level here. The call to be a load-bearer is not a call to be a gossiper. The call to be a load-bearer is not a call to be a gossiper. If all you're going to do, and we're going to explore this a little bit in growth groups, if we have the time, some questions that you'll work through, and even examples 
um, of, of how Paul approached the situation in Philippians and how Paul warned against gossipers uh, and, and, and idle you know, uh, talk in other passages. But we have to be careful. Why am I sharing what I'm sharing? Am I sharing with someone who can help me spiritually, who has some knowledge and has some experience that can help solve the problem instead of just fester it even more? God's called us to be a load bearer, but not just a, a gossiper. Now, another part of this letter C that's a part of this process is a biblical substitution of attitudes. Biblical substitution of attitudes. Gratefulness, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians 4, 4, part of our specific passage this morning, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, isn't it interesting? This is a, a theme throughout the book of Philippians, but isn't it interesting that Philippians, or that Paul repeats this shortly after saying, Yodia and Syntyche, you need to agree in the Lord. And then he comes out right after that and says, and by the way, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Have some gratitude. Think about, you know, think about your position in Christ. Think about all that you have to be thankful for. And the seed of ungratefulness and the seed of discontentment can lead us down a long and nasty road. Think with me about the Israelites. As they begin to doubt God's goodness, as they begin to doubt then even the leader that God gave them, Moses, and they were on the brink of entering the promised land, God had promised it to them. Joshua and Caleb says, yes, we can do it. The other 10 said, no, I don't think we can. They're big and we're small. So the people of Israel began to doubt God's goodness. They were ungrateful. They, gr they grumbled. They murmured, the Old Testament says. And it led them to the point where they were even almost to about to stone Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. And it began with murmuring and ungratefulness and doubting God's goodness. We need to substitute our attitude for gratefulness, and that'll greatly help our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 9, 6, and then verses 9 through 10. And I may, I think I have summarized this, so you may want to follow it on the screen because you may not be able to follow along in your Bible. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they, it's talking about the Israelites, did. And then another part of the, that passage, we must not put Christ to the test. And it goes on and it eventually says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. God, help us to substitute an attitude of gratefulness. And you and I may be tempted to think, why did God allow me to be born into this family? Why did God allow that person to come into our church family? Why did God allow me to get married to this person? Don't, you know, do, don't poke. And we begin to, to think, man, I, I, I am not content. I deserve better than this. I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. But yet... Part of the process of restoring unity is to change our attitude to gratefulness. As we do that, this type of gratefulness and Christ-centered gratefulness will help us to lean into difficult relationships rather than run away from difficult relationships. We saw that principle as we studied through the book, Relationships, and Mess Worth Making. Our tendency is to back off, okay? This relationship is problematic. Oh, I'm out. I'm done. In spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, God wants to say, no, lean into that. 
Lean into that, and with God's grace, seek unity so that you can show the love of Christ to the world. Another attitude is graciousness. Graciousness. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know, I'm thankful that as I recall some of the stupid things and mean things that I've done in my life, but yet how God showed me grace and how so many other people have shown me grace. And reasonableness has this idea of, of kindness, of patience, of, of withstanding you know, difficult situations. And it's translated as such in various different versions. And as we show this, this attitude of grace, then that can help to maintain or to restore unity. I remember a time, there was a, there was a time period, and Kim remembers this, we dated uh, of my teenage years that I just had the whatever, for whatever reason, I thought it was funny and cool to call people jerk faces. Well, that's not a very nice word. But I, you know, if I got a little you know, upset, or I'd be like, jerk face. And it might be a coach that I didn't agree with. I wouldn't say it to their face. <laughs> but behind my back or at my locker, man, jerk face. Or somebody, somebody else. But yet, God has shown me so much grace through the years that it helps me to remember I need to do the same and let my reasonableness be displayed. What are some common denominators for unity? Letter A, unreliable common denominators for unity are a common past. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me. So they had been involved in some mutual activity together. But that wasn't enough. Uh, common friends isn't enough. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3 again, we see that they, you know, they knew the true companion. Uh, they knew Clement's. So they labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. They had mutual friends. Well, that's not enough. It may work for a while to unify you with somebody else, but that's not a long-term common denominator of unity. What, what are some common denominators? Look at this. Number one, a firm confidence in the message of re- reconciliation. A firm confidence in the message of reconciliation. Paul says Philippians, in Philippians 4, 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in what? In the gospel. This now is a reliable common denominator for unity. Because there is a, there is a common agreement, of, there's a common message of what, what is important about life. Occasionally, and we, we should probably do it more often, but I, Kim and I love to uh, go out every once in a while and, and go eat together or maybe go um, shop together. I mean, she enjoys that. I enjoy being with her, but we, we do things and, or maybe even go hiking and do different things. So a couple weeks ago, we went to um, Copeland's of New Orleans. Anybody else been there? Copeland's of New Orleans. We've passed by it a bunch on Cobb Parkway, but never, never gone. And so we thought, well, let's try it out. So we walk in, it's a pretty restaurant inside, we sit seated at a table, we begin to look at the menu, and there is a, there's a lot of entries, entrees rather, that I didn't recognize, and ingredients that were used. And so as the waitress came to our table, we asked her, um, these are some things we're thinking about, what would you recommend? 
And she said, oh, hands down, get the, the blackened bio, am I saying it right, bio? Bio, get the blackened bio chicken entree. What's that? Well, it's the fresh, and I'm, I'm what's your appetite here for lunch? It's the fresh blackened chicken breast served over cornbread dressing with a rich crawfish tasso, I didn't know what that was, spiked, which is spiced pork cream sauce. She said, that's what you need to get. I'm like, okay. And she was right. It was a phenomenal dish. And we got one other thing, and we were kind of sharing each other's, and, and you know, I think kind of in our, in, our, in our heart of hearts, we were both kind of wondering, okay, who's going to get the last bite of the chicken dish? I mean, this is good stuff. She was convinced. She had had it, and she gave the recommendation and full assurance, and we went and, and, and loved it. If we are reminded and if we are convinced of the, of the worthiness of the gospel message, that is a common denominator for long-term unity. But secondly, also a fresh remembrance of personal reconciliation. Philippians 4.3 says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, and then it goes on in the end, whose names are written or whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. I love this phrase that's by Ken Sand. I recommended to you last week the book, The Peacemaker. And this is one of the quotes from that book. It says, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. As I reflect more and more of all that God has forgiven me of and all that he has redeemed me from, may that help me to be reminded that I've been reconciled to God. And Paul, although he calls these two ladies out and he's not afraid. Yeah, Yodia, Syntyche. And to this day, you know, 2,000 years later, we're still reading about these two ladies. And I'm sure in the moment when they first heard it, they probably weren't super excited. Oh, great, our names are in the letter. But I think they were encouraged when Paul ended the phrase and says, your names are in the book of life. You've been reconciled to God. Don't forget it. Because of your reconciliation, that is a common denominator for long-term unity. And then lastly, we see a faithful dependence in Jesus Christ, your reconciler. Philippians 4.2, we see that he helps us embrace reconciliation with God. Jesus helps us embrace reconciliation with God. In Philippians 4.2, I entreat Yodian and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The more that, that we are drawing close to our Savior and to our Redeemer and to our Reconciler, the one who has reconciled me to God, the more that I'm drawing close to Him, the more that I'm allowing God's Word that Hebrews says has the power to, to even uh, split apart my, my intentions and the thoughts of my heart. The more that I do that, the more that my Reconciler can help me to maintain unity even when thoughts and intentions and motives may take me astray for a while and cause dissension as I reflect on him, as I allow God's word to dissect my own thoughts, my own intentions, my own motives, and as I align myself once again, that's only going to help me to pursue unity with others. But we see also that Christ it helps us to embrace reconciliation with God and he helps us to extend 
reconciliation to others. Philippians 4 or 5, once again, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. If you survey several different versions of scriptures, you'll see that this word reasonableness is translated as gentleness, graciousness, patience, kindness, and patient self-control. And as Jesus Christ pursued us, and as he lovingly intervened to redeem us and to reconcile us to God, then he also helps us to pursue unity and to restore that with others. Some of you may have heard of Corey Ten Boom, a powerful story. As she and her family began to, to harbor and to provide safe haven for Jews in German-occupied Holland. And as they did that, eventually her family Although they weren't Jews, they were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And Betsy, her sister, so Corey and her, and her sister Betsy were, were sent together. I think her dad uh, was in some other concentration camp. Betsy ended up dying in that concentration camp. And imagine watching your sister uh, waste away as she was and be you know, submitted to, to horrible treatment, humiliating treatment, and then watch your sister Uh, take her last breath in that concentration camp. Imagine the temptation for anger, the temptation for vengeance. And you may remember the story that she relates in The Hiding Place that uh, when the war broke two years later, 1947, she went back to Germany and she began to speak to, to groups in Germany about hope and about peace and about forgiveness and after one such talk, a man began to come up to, after to, towards her, and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk today. He says, I want you to know that I was one of the Nazi guards at that concentration camp. And immediately, she relates that all of those thoughts came back. And the vengeance, and the anger, the death of her sister. And then the man went on to say, since that time, I've come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I've already accepted forgiveness. I've already been forgiven by God, but I want to ask you to forgive me. And Corey Ten Boom relates that the seconds that followed seemed like an eternity to her as she looked the man in the face, a man that was partly responsible even for her sister's death and her previous humiliation. And she looked at him in the face and initially had no desire whatsoever to say, yeah, you're forgiven. But because of God's help, because of the Holy Spirit within her, what seemed like for so long, but just a few seconds later, she was able to extend uh, an embrace and say, I forgive you with all of my heart, my brother in Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't stop there. That's kind of the story that I remember about Corey Ten Boom. And you would think after being able to forgive someone to, to that extent, that all other reconciliation, that all other unity would be pretty easy. But she relates that years later, some very close Christian friends hurt her deeply. And when God was working in her heart to, to offer forgiveness and to seek reconciliation, she once again struggled to extend the forgiveness. And unfortunately, those Christian friends claimed that nothing had ever happened, but she was deeply, deeply hurt. 
And even after coming to the point where she, she understood and remembered and God helped her to, to extend an attitude and a spirit of forgiveness and seek fellowship again and, and to, to try to reconcile with these brothers and sisters in Christ, she recalled that some, several nights she would wake up and then all the memories would come back. Well, this is what they said and this is what they wrote and this is how they hurt me and how could they with brothers and sisters in Christ? And she was frustrated that she had kind of offered forgiveness, but yet these thoughts continued to come back for a time. And the minister friend told her one morning, or, or at one point, the minister friend said, it's, listen, Corey, it's kind of like, you see that bell tower over there, that, that large church bell tower? And she says, yeah, I, I can see that off in the distance. He said, okay, it's like, it's like a, a guy that is, is pulling on the rope, you know, for the bell tower. And every time he pulls the rope, you know, a second or so later, the bell, you know, just ding and dong and goes back and forth. But eventually, let's go of the rope. What happens? Well, a couple more times, that bell is going to ding, dong, ding, dong, and then stop. He said, you know, you've offered forgiveness, but there's going to be times where those thoughts will still come back. But continue to submit to the Lord, and eventually... That noise, that problem of, of not having a forgiving spirit, God's going to give you victory. And she was able to enjoy sweet fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ who had deeply hurt her because God helped her. Christ, Jesus Christ, her reconciler, helped her to extend that forgiveness. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes as we finish this morning?